If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this March 19th. 2017. This is the program where we talk about the news of the week and often the events of my very bizarre life and where we provide you with a full two-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. This being hour number two, that means we're generally joined by a guest with something interesting to say, and that is certainly the case this week. We are joined by Dave Weigel. He is a political reporter for the Washington Post. And a guy with a lot of varied interests and uh, opinions and expertise. I want to get into it with all of them. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. One of the things that uh, interests me about you, Dave, is not just that you're a a mainstream media guy at the Washington Post, uh, but you're a guy who clearly has opinions, yet... Uh Yet I can't really tell what your political perspective is. And I, I'm wondering, is that by design, or uh, are you just really good at uh, hiding what your true beliefs are? Oh, I, I think I'm pretty heterodox. Uh, I mean, I, I'm very sympathetic to swing voters when they, they say things to reporters that betray, that they, they don't know who's going to do a better job running things. I mean, I, I feel like that all the time. Uh, and actually in D.C., where Democrats run basically everything, the Republican Party here is the same way. They kind of dart uh, to the left on social issues, but they hate corruption. So I'm, I, it's not that I'm trying to be cagey about it. I just, I just don't have – there are things that I feel strongly about are issues of great injustice or you know, things like we should have a policy to stop, uh, that slows people down – or rather slows drug companies down from addicting people to opium. Like I'll, I'll get passionate about that. When it comes to what the tax rate should be, I don't get super passionate. So that leads that leads a lot of people to say, "Is he libertarian? What does he care about?" And I, I don't know. I, I care about what I have direct experience or knowledge about. Well, you also seem to be an equal opportunity offender. You seem li- like a lot like me, by the way. You seem to have um, <laughs> d- disdain for everybody. Uh, you have <laughs> studied both the the left and the right uh, very carefully. And is that a pretty fair assessment that you just really you don't seem to like anybody? I wouldn't put it that way, obviously, because that would make it hard for uh, other people to like. <laughs> but uh, so I, what's formative in my experience was I, I lived in England when I was going finishing up high school at 16, 18. I lived in England. So when I first started reading the media as as an adult, you know, looking for looking for news and being kept up on things and knowing who was who ran what, uh, it was 
in this British media climate, which is extremely scabrous and sarcastic, and there there are not sacred cows. You get uh, the the best example is look at the reputation of Margaret Thatcher in that country versus the reputation of Ronald Reagan in this country. Just they do not venerate people in power, and so that's always how I view these things. And when I look back and felt bad about something I wrote, it's usually because I gave a politician too much credit. Right. And as I wrote something flattering about uh, a Barack Obama or a, or someone, and then they get in office and they disappoint me. I mean, I've learned to just kind of pay more attention to the direct actions. And you have, you have to know what people's relation, relationships and biases are that you're covering, obviously. But the important thing is, is don't venerate them. Just treat them like any kind of actors. Well, I, it's funny. I did not know that you, you had a, a background uh, that would give you a, a, a British wit. Uh, but <laughs> there, but there's, a, there, there's no question that your sense of humor is a little bit... Um, I enjoy it quite a bit on Twitter, and you have a, an enormous Twitter following largely because of it, I'm assuming. And so now I understand where that's coming from, so that makes a lot more sense. Now, there's a, there's several issues I want to talk to you about, including you've done a lot of work on the on the health care bill situation, which this appears to be uh, this upcoming week appears to be a big week, uh, and there's a vote at least right now scheduled in the House of Representatives on health care. But before we get to that, I, I want to go to some more general things and and really this this bizarre era we're living in this this Trump era, and uh-huh. so so let's go back a little bit. What, what was Dave Weigel's sense of the Trump phenomenon, and were you as shocked as everybody else as to to you know I, I refer to this as the nine eleven of politics. I mean, you know, there's there's never been anything like this before, and everything after it is different than it was before. Uh, hopefully, fewer people will die. I'm guessing. I'm hoping, but yeah. uh, but but you know, from a from a big picture standpoint, that's the way I look at it. What was Dave Weigel's perspective on on the Trump phenomenon uh, when it began and as it evolved? Well, I was ahead of the media in some ways. You know, I think we're both defining the media in the same big amorphous way. I'm part of it, but I'm I I I, I also like like a lot of consumers identify with things that are pretty bad. Uh, so I was. Early on, thought that it made a lot of sense. I thought Trump's appeal and his theory of what you could win with was uh, perfect for a moment. And I thought for a long time he would maybe not quite make it through Republican primaries, but be the dominant figure in the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so when he became the nominee, I was uh, not super surprised. I always thought he would lose closely, and he ended up winning closely. Uh, right, right. And that so, and the, the, you mentioned the kind of the traumatic 9-11 reference. I mean, what I felt after the election was, honestly, I knew that I would have a big story to cover, uh, but what really made me kind of jittery and de- a little bit depressed after the election was there were just so many people, especially li- living in D.C., it's used very liberal, and people would know what I do for a living, and they would ask me almost for reassurance that Trump could not win. Right? And I would tell them, <laughs> I would tell them what I knew, and I, I just flash back to all these, all these people with, uh, with strong opinions and maybe direct, direct uh, impacts of what, you know, who would be hiring who for the administration or who would be cutting what benefit program. And I just, like, I flash back to all these people I knew who I'd confidently told, well, yes, it looks like he could win, but there are all these factors that seem to be blocking his path in all these states. And so being that wrong at that level, it didn't really matter that I was – pretty early on to see, uh, for example, I was in Michigan in, in August 2015 and talking to everyone there was at least open to voting for him. It didn't matter that I was there very early on. What mattered was that I didn't predict this at the end when they when people were panicking. Uh, and I, 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 I factored that into what I write. I mean, I, I think I'm doing a lot less predicting 
uh, even I, I cut down a lot over the years, but uh, when it comes to who could win an election, I say, well, you know, let's, let's see what's observable and knowable, but let's, let's not pretend that we should put out a, about a big declaration or look at what the data tells us. Let's, let's like, observe it and then report on what happens. We, can't, we, we need to stop be, from our pundit's seat saying, obviously this can happen and nothing else can, because everyone who did that was proven wrong in the most hilarious and transformational way. See, you know, that's what we thought election night. And I realize Mm -hmm. that first impressions are incredibly important because they dictate everything afterwards. And and, you know, I was definitely in the camp of those who said it is a real super long shot for Trump to win. I mean, it was theoretically possible, but he had to win all he'd have to win all these coin flips in a row. But but here's where I take issue with with what you're saying, which is clearly the conventional wisdom. He didn't really, quote unquote, win. He lost the popular vote by three million votes. If a handful of votes swing in three states, he had no business winning Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. He's not the president. So, Mm -hmm. so are we not, I mean, I realize winning is everything, right? Winning, it's just win baby in the words of Al Davis. And so if you win, that's all anyone remembers. And I get that. And he's the legitimate president and I get all that, but we seem to be associating with this victory a magic that it doesn't really deserve because it was mostly about luck then and, and and Hillary's voters not showing up it's he he did as he did about as well as Mitt Romney did in every state except Pennsylvania and Florida that and that yeah. that was it so so what do you make of what i just said there well i think it's it's forgotten by too many republicans frankly cuz so he, one advantage I guess I have uh, by having an opinion and being on Twitter and saying it is I, I, will, I will say something which is I don't think is a terribly biased opinion, but is maybe too much for some reporters to go and say, which is that uh, these guys are talking about a mandate, mandate, but they didn't really win one. I mean, the, the, the president won with 46 percent of the popular vote uh, and Republicans lost seats in both houses of Congress. They just happened to uh, hold on narrowly in a couple of races that were coin flips. So right. I, and that's not casting aspersions on whether they are allowed to govern. But there's a lot of punditry that's based on how the entire, you know, the, the wheel has moved in this direction, and, and we must adjust to that. And one reason I make fun of it is that, look, it's, there is a universe very much like this one where Hillary gets 100,000 more votes in the right places, and we're writing, and you know, people like me are being sent to the suburbs of Atlanta talking to people about why they left the Republican Party, you know? It's, it, right. And the guys who, you just, you shouldn't, base your coverage of what reality is based on uh, any election, especially not on one where the winner kind of got in through a fluke. I mean, any other country, this is what I keep kind of pointing out when the more passionate alt-right people say, well, they say Marine Le Pen can't win, but they said Trump couldn't. And I'll point out, look, in, uh, in our system, she well, sorry, if, in, if Le Pen was running in our system, maybe she could. She's running in a runoff system. And if we had a runoff, probably Trump would have lost to Hillary Clinton. Almost definitely, because I think it was by the end, you know, 40, she had a 44% national favorable rating. He had something like 36. Like, it, 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 he, he, he snuck in in part because of people not tuning, at, uh, not tuning in, voting third party. Like, this system uniquely allowed this to happen. And if you look at the polling since the election, it's pretty weak. I mean, he's, he's not, what I, I was talking to a lot of Democrats this week. I just kind of, toward the end of the week, had a run of interviews with, fairly high up kind of Democratic resistance people. And they said they were really worried after the election that Trump was going to go to Paul Ryan and say, 
Uh, this is a narrow win, so what we need to do is pass an infrastructure bill real fast so that we have something to run on in the midterms, and Democrats will have trouble opposing it, and they would have had trouble opposing it. But instead, they're governing as if they won, like, a Reagan 1980 victory, right. and they, they, just, they just didn't. I mean, they factually right. didn't. The, the, why are they so surprised to see people turning away from it? Right. I think I think that's a very good analysis, and it's important, because and we'll get to that more when we talk health care. But let's talk a bit more about the media and sure. and its influence and reaction to Trump's election. See, my theory on this is that the news media, because they never really thought Trump had a, a legitimate chance of even winning the Republican nomination, that they effectively got caught with their hand in the cookie jar thinking that they could reap the benefits, the ratings and the traffic benefits of a Trump candidacy without ever having to risk, oh, my gosh, he's actually going to win. And uh, they they basically uh, misunderstood the what was really going on politically or they took too great of a chance. Uh, and James Comey helped them out at the last second with that uh, with a couple of different letters. Uh, so I might in bottom line is, uh, Dave, I see the news media as exceedingly complicit in tr- in the very election that they have decried as the end of humanity. What do you make of that? I, I like the way you put it. I would only ask that we can differentiate by what uh, by what we mean in the media, because I think if you are looking at the newspapers in Wisconsin or Michigan or Ohio that have gotten hit uh, for a lot of reasons over the last few years, their political reporters, their local teams, I think did a good job actually covering the issues of the election. Uh, maybe sometimes they're thrown, but uh, whenever I'd go to one of those states and read what they were covering, it was pretty much on the nose, here's what this means for you. I thought TV, which is how most people are uh, consuming this, and then national media, which increasingly is, is based on what happened on TV, uh, I thought that was, by and large, pretty terrible, and the way that you crystallize it is good, because I think, uh, I think it's, it's, it's just true, and they've almost admitted it, that CNN, for example, was giving Trump a ton of airtime because it played well. Uh, CBS News, Les Moonves is quoted saying, "It's bad for the country, but he's good for ratings." Uh, they, they, I think the, you're right. They, they, there was a, not a collective decision. I don't think hashed up in a back room to say, "Look, uh, what do we get more ratings with by putting our panel on, by putting an original reporter who's on the ground on, or by having Trump uh, speak on the air for a total of two and a half hours a day at these rallies?" So I think that. There was an early decision to frame the entire election around that coverage, and you don't hear Republicans complain about it anymore. Uh, they certainly did when they thought he was going to lose. The people who worked for Carly Fiorina and Rand Paul and uh, even Jeb Bush, uh, who got a, a ton of attention, I think more than commensurate with the actual sport he had, uh, they said, look, there were different rules the media followed because Trump was a celebrity, and they were going to give him coverage of above and beyond his relevance at the moment. So by the time it, it, he kind of filled in that relevance by getting more and more support, I think he would have been popular anyway, but I think there's an early decision to go with what was clicky and what was going to get the most ratings. And that benefited Trump. And it is true. I mean, if you polygraphed reporters like most people, but probably even more because we were talking to the campaign sources, uh, they didn't think he was going to win. Uh, the Trump campaign did not think on election day, they were likely to win. They thought there was a chance, but they, some of them had already made pieces, even by, like, by, by 8 p.m. And so that did influence the decision. The, 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 the first bend of that was giving Trump a lot of coverage. The second, I think Hillary was covered as a president-in-waiting, uh, so, which meant more skeptical, 
investigative stories getting played up. Uh, there was a lot of investigation of, of Trump. Uh, I, my, the Washington Post especially, I think, did a very good job probing his business relationships, his charitable donations or lack thereof, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of what you put on the front page, the, I've never seen an election quite like this, maybe because I wasn't really around for 1984, uh, election where there was this much of an assumption that one, that one party was going to win. Uh, and so we needed to keep there non there are two people one is not sorry neither is an incumbent I should say two non incumbents uh, one being covered like a president one being covered like an interesting historical figure who's going to lose and I definitely think it kind of I think the first one hit, um, helped Clinton I think it did benefit her in the Democratic primary because as far as Democratic primary voters could tell um, she was going to be the stronger candidate against Donald Trump and her obviously hurt her in the end because I think she got. Uh, more more negative attention because people thought they were she was going to be president, and he got less because of what I just described. So yeah, every, I mean all these factors. Every, every time you describe these factors, uh, not just because he won and you're rewriting the history to backfill it in and say, you know, well this is inevitable. If you just look at every decision, and say which way could this have gone to help him? They always broke in a direction that helped him. We're speaking with Dave Weigel, a political reporter for the Washington Post. And, and before we get into his reporting on uh, what's going on with regard to the health care bill in Congress, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the election and the media's role in it. And something you said, uh, I uh, perked my ears up with regard to uh, what your reaction to Trump actually winning. You said you knew you'd have a great story. Mm-hmm. Tell me, Dave, uh, how much of the mainstream news media uh, there in Washington, D.C. and in the Washington Post is um, conflicted between their personal horror over Trump having been elected uh, and their their personal joy over having content and ratings for at least four years that will ensure their employment. Uh, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that much of a conflict. I can't speak for what everyone else thinks. I'm just trying to think of the way that my peers, the Washington Post and elsewhere, have interpreted it. Um, as soon as he won, I mean, that was the sense. I think it was more influenced by the hate mail we were getting and the hate tweets, et cetera. There was a common attack on members of the media saying, Trump won, ha-ha, your days are numbered. And sometimes, as you know, that was accompanied by a hilarious joke about sticking people in, gas, in, in, in ovens or gas chambers <laughs> or what have you, right? right. It, was, it was a lot of... We don't just dislike you, but because you've been proven wrong, you're all going to die. <laughs> that was that was. I'm laughing because of laughing to because of the awkwardness of the of the sure. insult. So I think seeing that, I certainly was one of the reporters saying, guys, if you really wanted to hurt this industry, you should have voted for Hillary Clinton because people were not going to add a bunch of you know, CNN was not going to hire 20 new commentators to cover the Clinton White House. It was, it was going to be uh, a kind of bitter. Uh, Tight, tightly wound place, not a ton of leaks, and then Congress investigating it for everything it did. Uh, so I think I think the first impulse was uh, not us thinking to ourselves, "This is great." It was more us thinking as a reaction to trolling. Good job, guys! You gave us an amazing story. Uh, well, and uh, I don't think there's anyone. Um, what, what you're describing, I don't think that's very common. Again, like it was a shock to the system. I think a lot of people thought they were going to get a very good story out of Trump and a different story out of Clinton that less people were going to, were going to pay attention to. I don't think it was But Dave, come, in but come on. I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy oh, sure. guy at all. I'm an anti-conspiracy guy. But, but I, I, I think, and maybe I'm misinterpreting your reaction, but I think uh-huh. you're being somewhat um, 
naive is probably not the right word, but you, you don't you don't think you don't think that there are, there's a large contingent within the news media that is overtly anti-Trump, but is secretly thrilled that he won because it's good for them and the media uh, individually. You don't think that exists? I think it exists. I'm, I'm not comfortable talking for talking for other people, especially not for other people to watch and post. I mean, I. Let's talk about Trump, media in general, then. Yeah, Let's yeah. take it out okay. of the Washington Post. Media sure. in general. Am I right uh, about yeah. this? Well, I definitely think so. And it's, it's more than you saw for uh, a general Republican victory. I don't, think, I don't think you would have seen this much frustration in the media had, let's say, had Marco Rubio won. I think there would, there would have been, it would have been uh, less than, much less than you saw with Barack Obama, uh, but you would have seen a little bit of media interest in covering this new generation, first generation ex-president, first Latino president. Uh, the Trump winning by attacking not just the media, but people's relationship with the truth, I think was offensive to the press in a very big way. And also, it because some of it was clearly a reaction to a very glowing, and I'll be the first to admit, this very glowing, soft focus coverage personally of Barack Obama. Yes. Uh, and, and insistence that any any... Uh, any implication that there were bad motives or radical thinking in Barack Obama was dismissed as crazy. Uh, there was also a sense that Trump was only elected this this seventy year old uh, seventy year old white guy who had you know taken out ads attacking um, the I'm forgetting setting up the Central Park Five, but you right, know who, right. whose only intervention in politics had been pretty problematic. There is a sense I think in the media that. This is a reaction to a lot of things. Some of them that we understand. Some of them we think people are just wrong. I mean, and I think this about Trump too. I mean, what what really, I get frustrated with um, the whenever you know somebody turns to the ca- to the camera on their Sunday show and gives a lecture about how it's not good when the president lies. I roll my eyes too. But that, that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff worries me when I realize there are people who, instead of paying attention. Forget the media to any source to figure out. Let's say how Medicaid works. Are just going to say, "I trust the president. I like the president. I'm going to get my facts from him instead of you guys." I don't like that. I mean, I, I don't know what's preventing that from uh, flipping the other way. If uh, let's say like a left winger becomes president in 2021 or 2025 and doesn't let the media into his press conferences, like those trends, I think have worried us in a pretty Catholic way. Um, and some of them had to do with Trump's politics. Some more have to do with how he just is giving people this option of never of not trusting the media and trusting politicians instead, and that's against everything we believe. And I I keep adding to the run-on sentence because like and all this I I I'll agree with lots of people. I think the coverage of Barack Obama was rosy in a way that liberals didn't quite appreciate until Trump arrived. How horrifying it was if you didn't vote for him. I mean, if you didn't vote for if they saw that when they see people you know wearing Make America Great Again hats and. Uh, People magazine covers of the Trump family, and they get disgusted. Well, that was the coverage of Obama that people on the other side felt was not just not just gross if they didn't like the guy, but it was letting him paper over his decision. So that's I think we in the media have to be very aware when when we venerate politicians. What's to stop the the other side from from building its own personality cult? We should just not allow these. We should not encourage these personality cults to flourish. Well, I think what you're saying a lot there, including the fact that we're now in this uh, weird pendulum 
you know, for, uh, that goes back and forth more and more dramatically each election. And as a conservative, I'm terrified of what comes next because because yeah. I think we're going to see a Trump from the left with media support behind them. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's when you look the hell out because then we're in real big trouble. But but before we you know, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. You said something really important, though, about the soft coverage of Barack Obama, because as as we go yeah. th- as we go through here from the election to Trump to Trump as president. And in the, there's no doubt that in the first six weeks or whatever it is of, of his presidency, the coverage of him has been way more negative of Trump than any other president of my lifetime. And by yeah. the and by the way, probably deservedly so based upon what we know to be or at least I what I believe to be true. But it has had very little impact. And the reason, I think the number one reason, there's a lot of reasons. One is media fragmentation. But I think the primary reason why this incredible onslaught of negative media coverage to Trump has had so little impact is because of the eight years of soft coverage of Barack Obama. And so my question to you, Dave, is Mm -hmm. does the news media understand and should they understand that part of why they are impotent when it comes to taking down Trump is that they gave up their credibility for eight years being the lapdogs to Barack Obama. Do they understand that? Yeah, I think uh, it's hard to be a reporter going out and talking to voters and not get that. It's hard to miss the, the, the point that people think Obama got away with a lot uh, and that he was covered in a celebrity-focused way and that that influenced uh, Trump's ability to win. I mean, there there have been some sort of hard, hard talk, uh, cold medicine pieces I've seen about you know even Justin Trudeau in Canada being a product of the same sort of you know, entertainment first voting pattern that produced Trump and that to an extent produced Obama. And so that's I, I hope everyone in the, the press thinks that way. I would differentiate it because I do think the Obama administration's mistakes were covered as mistakes. The scandals were covered as scandals. It was not like the if you the run up to the 2012 election. I think, uh, especially when it, after Republicans won Congress, the, the White House was sort of fumbling through the debt ceiling debate, through various debates over what could be cut. I, I don't think it was covered as a thriving, successful White House, but still, the coverage of Obama and Biden as kind of great men of history. Uh, I hope people understand how that rankled it. And that's, that's why I keep referring back to how I like the United Kingdom's coverage of politicians. I mean, like the only time in the last 25 years when they've covered politician as a great change agent was Tony Blair. And uh, it took like all of five minutes for them to go back and, and look at what was wrong. I mean, uh, I think the country and readership of the media have have appreciated the the failure of elites better than the media itself has. And I think uh, that starts for a lot of people with the Iraq war. It should continue with the Affordable Care Act not being what Obama promised it, right? It's that simple. I think the media is still inclined to say, uh, political media is still inclined to go through power to tell stories, whereas a lot of voters are like, we don't trust power. You've been lied to enough times. Why do you keep venerating these people? But, Dave, let me give you take this out of the theoretical and into the the very practical and specific with regard to the Obama-Trump divide. And I am no defender of Donald Trump. However, but let's take the Russian issue, because so much of the coverage of the last six weeks, and I 
I fully support a you know, complete uh, mm-hmm. vetting and investigation of what the hell's going on between Russia and Trump. But let, let, let's take a look at the way the media handled. We have, with regard to Obama, before the 2012 election, we had Barack Obama on tape, mm-hmm. on video, saying to a Russian official, please tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. All right? Mm-hmm. And, and that got nothing. Nothing. No. So why should the, the American public give any credibility to to situations with regard to Russia and Trump, which is based almost solely on anonymous sources as opposed to a video. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, it did get attention. I mean, we both know about it because it got a lot of Oh, attention. but it, no, but no, it, wait, it whoa, 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 no, 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 okay, no, no. I mean, come on. If Trump, if there was a video of Trump saying that <laughs> before the election and based upon all the other smoke involved, it would be 24-7 on a, on a loop. We know about it because we're political junkies. The the average person that that video did not get that much play, Dave. Not as much uh, as it would have gotten for Trump. Well, I was about to meet you halfway and say this: mm. it's an example of a video that really blew up uh, in conservative media and in a lot of mainstream liberal media. It was covered as a thing that only kind of kooky people were obsessed with, right? So yes. I'll, I'll go. Yes. I'll go part of the way on that. Uh, no, I, I think there, there. So a lot of things are conflated. There is video of Trump saying. Urging WikiLeaks to find all of the emails that were not found in the investigation True. of Hillary, although that's WikiLeaks, not the Russians. And there's, True. there's video of Trump before he was campaigning for president talking about how great his his his, media, his uh, business ties were in Russia. Uh, so there there's there is video of him saying this, but part of the video, the question is really uh, there's this hard question that uh, that I think investigators are going to try to find out, which is. Was anyone in the Trump campaign team coordinating with anyone in Russia and giving a go-ahead to help out the campaign to, to, to hack into people? And that's, that often gets lost. I've seen kind of on Fox News they'll, they'll bring guests on and say, are you saying the Russians hacked machines? As far as I know, uh, no one outside of the fever swamp says they hacked voting. It was just that they slanted, you know, if, if, if I were to go, if there was a 50-50 election anywhere, and I obtain one campaign's emails and publish them, it's going to hurt them. So I think uh, that is the narrow thing that there's not an analog to. I mean, they, whatever the Obama said about, about Russia, there was never an effort to team up with anyone to help find dirt inside Mitt Romney's campaign. All the oppo I'm familiar with from 2012 was, you know, pretty normal, finding real estate agreements, uh, trying to sue to open records, looking for tax records. Whereas what they're talking about, Dave, Trump Dave, is, I get yeah, all, yeah. I get all yeah, that, yeah. but I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking about the perception of yeah. the average American and why they don't trust the news media's incredibly negative coverage of Trump and why it's not having an impact. That, that to me is a really good example sure. of, of where and I, I'm trying to put yourself, you, you, you in the, in, in the media, into the mind of the Trump voter. The Trump voter goes, "Fake news, fake news, fake news." You guys were in the tank for Obama for eight years. You know, you didn't mm-hmm. cover all this stuff, and now you're, you're telling us to believe anonymous sources and a, and a dossier, and it's all in, in their minds, it's all bull crap because they don't want to believe it. I mean, they, they, you know, they're putting their, their hands over their ears and their eyes, and they want to believe in their cult leader. Uh, and, and that actually gets me to my next uh, question sure. to you, Dave, about where we are with regard to this Trump presidency in the news media. Does the news, do, do, do you in, in, in particular, and does, do you think the news media in general... Do you guys understand and how are you dealing with 
that your new found impotence, for lack of a better term, when it comes to impacting a president because uh, because of fragmentation and because of the fact that Trump has been able to cultivate this cult to uh, to use a inadvertent alliteration but through his own you know, the, the conservative media industrial complex. As long as it doesn't influence or pierce that echo chamber, his 40 to 43 percent of approval is unlikely to change no matter what The Washington Post does, no matter what The New York Times does, no matter what the television, mainstream television networks do. It doesn't matter because they're not listening to you. And I'm curious, how much are people like you aware of this reality? And if they are aware of it, how are they dealing with it? Uh, you know, so I've talked to Trump voters uh, only a couple times this year. I haven't had many assignments that took me out there. Uh, the last one was in Florida about three weeks ago. And I noticed when I tell people I'm from the Washington Post, it's like three to one. People, people and this is self-selected people who are showing up to, to wait hours to see Trump. About three to one people say that, oh, it's, uh, they, they've heard of the Post and they, there's something they like about it. Uh, the the that fourth person is, you guys are fake news. But it's still, um, there's still a strange relationship where people, I think people would like there to be a media that they trust, but they're also kind of invested in, in thinking that they've got, it, they've got one over on us and that they know when we're not telling them the truth. And I, I totally get that impulse. I mean, that's why I became a journalist in the first place. There are a number of reasons. One was I, I didn't like the media. <laughs> I like... I looked at TV and I thought they were leaving stuff out or it felt like they were leaving stuff out or they were talking to each other. So people's relationship with the media, I, I don't interpret somebody telling a pollster I don't trust the media to them never trusting a revelation about the president. I do think it, uh, there are more and more people who will not even interact with that. And the other question I ask people in Florida and I ask uh, Trump voters all the time is where they get their news. They usually will say, online, Fox News, talk radio. So they usually stay away from that, but it filters in. I mean, if there's a – like when there is a – God forbid, if there's a big natural disaster or something, or, or sorry, a big terrorist attack, uh, they're going to be reading and sharing the coverage of the major newspapers and of CNN, et cetera, because they'll have people on the ground. So it's a, it, I think it's a complicated relationship people have. But that is the risk of covering politics through – uh, in the ways that I keep and I keep talking about, it's covering it. All right. So, so what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing, think, what, yeah. what I'm hearing, Dave, is that you guys don't yeah. realize that you have no influence over. Them. <laughs> uh, 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 that's what I'm hearing. That might that might be. If you want to take that as the answer, that's fine. But I mean, I just having observed this a lot, I think more and more there are people who don't trust it, and it's a it's a problem. Uh, but there are people who say they don't trust the media, but will go to it almost like you know, putting a. Playboy in a in a brown paper wrapper like they they do read us they just don't want to think so they then, trust so us then and why, they'll trust us if it gets down to so, it. so then yeah. why have Trump's approval ratings basically been unchanged by relentless her, horrendous mainstream media coverage throughout uh, the short duration of his presidency? Uh, well, that's a good question because they have gone down a little. I think the <laughs> average no, the the average in. Uh, I'm looking at the you know, RCP, which includes Rasmussen. Mm. Even including Rasmussen, they've dipped since inauguration. They started very low, too. I mean, this is a right. president. Usually when you win, right. even when Bush won uh, in Florida in 2000, he got in the office, I think it was in the 65% range. Trump right. starts at about 48. Um, 
and I always incorporate this if I'm doing a kind of where where are people going to vote, where's the, where's the, how's the election going to break down 2018, I'll point out, look, if the guy's at 40 percent, we can all say that's bad, but he's, that means he's at 50 percent with, um, with white voters. That means he's probably at 55, 60 with white voters who lack college degrees. Like, there, there are people who nothing they hear is, is going to be trustworthy or even uh, influence their, they're going to give them a lot of slack. And look, Obama voters did this too. I mean, the, the, the comparison I would give is um, probably in politics, but look, there were uh, African American and Hispanic supporters of, and white liberal supporters of Barack Obama who never ever abandoned him, even if he did things that directly impacted right. them, that he, he failed on. If they lost their health insurance because of Obamacare, they did not care. If you prove that, uh, if you, you prove something terrible about his decisions that they they the Iran deal was going to be terrible for them. Uh, they wouldn't care. They just wouldn't move. And so I think there's a lot of that uh, on the right with Trump, and there will be. I mean, I think even if he loses the uh, the presidency in 2020, there's going to be 40 to 45 percent of voters who who trust him until the end, and a, a core of those people who will feel that he was betrayed, uh, that right. that he was not covered fairly, that are with him on that. Well, I think we're saying pretty much the same thing, though, because I, I've come to the belief that that Trump's approval rating is going to is never going to go barring, you know, some catastrophic event, not news story event that people can see and and feel for themselves, you know, whether it's a, a terrorist attack or a, an economic collapse or something like that. Barring something like that, his approval ratings are going to hover between 38 and 44 uh, the rest of his presidency, regardless. And it doesn't matter what the news coverage is because everyone's getting their, their is in their own bubble, getting the coverage that they want, hearing only what they want to hear. His cult is impenetrable. And, yeah. and certainly not by the Washington Post. And, and, la- and, I, and I laugh, you know, there I still see reporters who seem to think uh, <clears throat> that we are days away from, from Trump being forced to resign because of some, you know, great revelation about Russia or whatever it is. And, yeah. I, la- and I laugh because unless and until the Democrats take the House of Representatives, nothing is going to happen to this guy. Nothing. It's not you. You guys don't have that kind of influence anymore. And and to me, and I. By the way, I wish you did. Not just. Be, <laughs> I, I really do. As long as you were willing and able to use that power, uh, you know, with some semblance of fairness and wisdom. Uh, and 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 I think you know, in a, in a large way, you lost that power because you proved that you didn't have the ability to use that power with fairness and wisdom, especially over the last eight years. Of Obama, and I, w- I wish you still had that magic, uh, but you don't. Uh, at least not when it comes to to Donald Trump. It's not your fault. I'm I'm just I'm just saying that in general, the news media has dipped their hand in that cookie jar so often, has become so obsessed with their liberal agenda and their ratings agenda that I can understand why that most Trump voters are like, well, you know, I, I don't really care. I don't really trust it. I'm sticking with my guy, my team. You know, rah rah, bish boom ba, go team, and it and that's really what it what it is, and and, and I, I don't think this is good. I don't think it's good for the country. I don't think it's good for democracy. But um, la- last question, Dave, on the media before we get to the couple of other things. The um, and this goes back to the issue of of whether or not the media is is secretly uh, thrilled that they have this Trump story, which will keep them employed for at least four years. 
would you um, agree that there is a symbiotic relationship between Trump and the news media where they both desperately need each other and that the news media is actually thrilled when they're being hated on by Trump and that Trump actually loves the news media regardless of whether they're uh, favorable to him or not? Do Do you agree with that assessment? I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that would only be tested if a crazy person, you know, went into a newsroom and committed something violent. Up, up to that point, um, you you should get into. Look, if you're in the media, you you at some level like to see your name in print, so you be better be ready for uh, be ready for what comes with that. And same if you're in politics, and it's very obvious that Trump would not Trump would vanish without uh, media coverage. I mean, this is you don't pile on Time Magazine the way he does, and then you know get photographed with ten copies of it bound up in your office. Uh, he has a, an ego wall like no one on the planet. So he he and he also has a, it's a problem. He's just done. I mean, his the rest of his life he will have been president. So the risk and reward of him talking to the media is lower than it ever has been. Like you know, he he he's gonna he is a like a planet that the media orbits around. That's kind of what he always wanted to be. So he he gets irritated when there is coverage of him that he thinks is. is uh, is negative, but not even unfairly negative. He just brands everything as unfair uh, because I, I feel like he just lacks the filter that a lot of politicians do. They would love to do that. I've seen I've seen Cruz. I think not not a mask slip. That's kind of a dark metaphor, but I've seen Cruz kind of be real about how yeah the media covers him, but he knows that media is out to make him look stupid. Uh, and trouble to say it out loud. I mean, he won't wait until it's said off the record. But yeah. That's one of the weirdest things about this. Is that there, Trump is not one of those people who uh, thinks that the media was too easy on Obama and therefore it can't be trusted. I mean, he just he has the same feeling about the media he always did. It's just that he, he knows how to prod it. But, like, he calls up. I mean, this, he, he'll attack the New York Times and then call up Maggie Haberman or Glenn Thrush or one of these reporters and talk to him for 10 minutes, which is not something Barack Obama ever did. His relationship is a lot more symbiotic than... Gosh, probably any president. I don't know. Maybe Teddy Roosevelt had this. I, I wouldn't have the knowledge. Yeah, well, I mean, it's to me. I just think it's laughable that uh, that Trump got elected trashing the media because without that, without the media, uh, he's not even considered to be a billionaire. I mean, the, the media created this myth of who Donald Trump was and made yeah. him into a celebrity. I mean, he they they literally need each other desperately, and in a, in a way, I think they deserve each other. Uh, but it's interesting too how. Uh, he and a lot of conservatives have this diss the media in, a diff- in different ways. Because uh, Cruz, who I covered a lot, uh, has a joke he'll tell that's along the lines of, uh, well, uh, the media and the liberals, but I repeat myself. Or, or like, Democrat- right. Democrats are furious, the media is furious, but I'm being redundant. And he'll always say it's like they're all on a political team. Whereas that's not really Trump's critique. Trump's critique is that they're unfair to him and that they're unfair to his base. Not that they're liberal, per se. Um, maybe, but like he doesn't ever cohere it into here is the ideological reason why. It's just that they're not fair to me, and that means they're unfair to you. That's why I can't stand them. But that's why he's so happy to bend back around and give him access. It's, it's, just, it's just about whether they're being nice to him on a given day. That's exactly right. Now, last thing before healthcare, I saw you tweet uh, a couple days ago that you think that the coverage of the wiretapping story has been. I think you said almost offensively <laughs> exorbitant. Um, uh, and I was surprised to see you, you say that, and I was curious what you meant by it, because frankly, and I really believe this, Dave, 
I think that if any other president had accused in a public statement, a prior president, of committing a, a, a humongous crime with no evidence nor logic and then switched the story to, uh, oh, by bringing in a, 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 our biggest ally in Great Britain to try to substantiate and save face on their original false statement by using a D-list Fox News pundit who was using a conspiracy nut uh, hoaxer as a yeah. source. If all that happened to any other president, that would be the end of their presidency. I mean, I, this to me is unbelievable. So why did you think it, the coverage has been too much of this? I didn't say it was uh, too much. I think it's. Uh, I said it was. It was like almost offensive. How much of the, uh, how how much of the time it was taking. So the way I view any kind of news cycle is it's almost like a jar of marbles. You can fit a hundred marbles in it, and they can be a hundred marbles about healthcare. They can be a fifty-fifty of something else. And it was just striking me that every day's news cycle was about this. When I just. I feel like it's a pretty binary story. Like either he made either he made this up or he didn't. It's fun to untangle, but I just I think there are so many more interesting uh, disputes going on it's just around the healthcare bill. I mean, it's, maybe it's biased because I'm covering that more than the All other. Right, well, I promise we're going to yeah. get the healthcare in a second. But it, I mean, my gosh, the president here we have a president lying about the prior president committing felonies in a way that discredits our entire intelligence community, yeah. implicates our biggest ally, all not on based on evidence, but based purely, purely on trying to save his own face and his own ego. I, I, I mean, I, I, what, what's not interesting or important about that? I no, mean, I, again, I'm not saying it's not interesting. It's more like there, there are a bunch of, it's a movie theater with like Get Out and Logan and two other good movies, and it's just they said, okay, we're going to do... 20 screens of Get Out now. Like I want to. I, I think there's just other stuff that's being buried by this. And I think what my what I mostly was focusing on that moment was that uh, TV was nothing but wiretap. Trump talks right. for an hour, and then it's two hours wiretap. And uh, without getting too far into it, one thing that drives me nuts about TV is you are you know they cast these panels for who can be there in the office and who's good at forming a sentence on TV, not necessarily who's an expert. And so this is the thing where TV has, I think, become unwatchable about this, where it's maybe one guy who knows what the issues are around the story are, and then kind of four talking heads you could plunk in, in any panel, talking about like a, a complicated intelligence story when it's not clear they have any sourcing or reporting done on it, right? Fair. I think that was very narrowly what, what, what I was saying. is like, look, I'd rather hear from, if they're going to put a bunch of reporters on who are all on the Hill, bring some guys on who have been covering uh, like the science committee or healthcare or anything, Instead, it's these kind of talking heads who I'm not sure if they could, like, name the, the, the current acting DNI, right? And they're all talking about the wiretapping like they're experts. And I think that might that probably was a tweet informed by me walking past TV and saying, okay, all right, fair this enough. is the 10th time today where I've seen somebody doesn't know what they're talking about, yelling about yammering. I think that's it. I used the word yammering. That's what I meant. It was like it was the TV pundits who just are slotted in and talk about anything. Fair enough. All right, so let's talk about uh, the, the topic that you've done a lot of reporting for yeah. in the Washington Post, which is the health care debate. The bill is scheduled, uh, apparently, for a vote this Thursday. Uh, give, me, give me, by the way, do you, do you, an assessment of whether or not you actually think there will be a vote this Thursday on the Trump care bill. Uh, I think it'll be a vote unless they go into this thinking that they're down, down by too much to overcome. I think right now they know they're down by about 25. Um, and it's, it's a little bit, it's not complicated, but 
I've seen things like when Trump has a meeting with the Republican Study Committee, it's reported like he's got the votes. Not really. It's still members of the House Freedom Caucus who are not convinced. So I think there will probably be a vote this week. Um, the question is, uh, if they amend it and then they pass it without any kind of CBO score determining what's in it, they're in an even weaker position for the Senate. Because I think they're, then they enter a round two where Rand Paul already is committed to not voting for anything. Susan Collins and Dean Heller won't vote for the House version that, you know, kicks forward the Medicaid uh, sunset and all that stuff. And at that point, you, just, you have 49 votes, so you can't pass it. Uh, and so that, that's, I think they might get to something. This has happened before, too. I mean, the, the House did this, uh, you probably remember this, in 2013. They kept watering, um, not watering, that was the opposite. It's like pouring more vodka into the, their House version of the debt limit uh, bill and making it harsher and harsher with more requirements so that Mitch McConnell got in the Senate and said, nope, not, we're not doing that, especially because Democrats ran the Senate. I think it's a lot like that. It's almost... The best comparison, my colleague Paul Kane at the Post uh, compared it to cap and trade, where Pelosi got everything, did everything she needed. She ran all the bases. She got just enough votes to get cap and trade through the House, and then it died in the Senate. The result was there were a bunch of schmuck Democrats from swing districts who were on the record voting to, you know, quadruple your electric bill for no for no point, like for, for not even a policy that anyone's going to live with. I think it might end up like that. Well, let me play devil's advocate with you, because I actually think that that's what's going to happen. But I think it's good for Republicans. See, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. See, I think that the most likely scenario is that Trump uses every ounce of influence and pulls out all the stops to get this thing through the House so that he can say, hey, I passed a bill that uh, that allegedly revokes uh, repeals Obamacare. Uh, We got uh, everybody in the House that needs to be on the record uh, for having passed this and not pissing Trump off. It makes it to the Senate where it dies. Therefore, the Republicans don't have to deal with the nightmare of the transition from Obamacare into whatever the heck you want to call this, Trump care, whatever, Ryan care. And therefore, in two years... They can play both sides of the aisle if they need to. If, if yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So I think politically, the scenario that you're outlining is the least bad scenario for the Republican Party. Am I right? Uh, I think it's the, yeah, it's the worst scenario would be that they just fail completely um, on a vote. Like a house, they have a House vote and it tanks, so they got everyone on the record and they can't even say, and, and we repealed Obamacare. Uh, the so I think you're right. That's the least bad scenario. But that's why the cap-and-trade comparison, I think, is really good, because that is what happened at cap-and-trade. And, they, uh, yeah, no Democrat had to run on higher electric bills. They just had to run on having voted for them. So I think that's where, you're, where you end up. And, I mean, there's um, – I'm you know, near Northern Virginia. Barbara Comstock is probably going to be in the position of running to defend her record and, and where Democrats are saying um, – not just 50,000 people would have lost their health care, but the very smart Democrats I was talking to Thursday were saying, look, they're gonna, there are going to be people who we already know, not because we, we were looking for them, because they've been showing up to these town halls and individual meetings, people who you can go on TV in 30 seconds explain how they'd be dead if this bill passed. Like, good, way to go, guys. And that, that is um, the big existential thing over all of this, is that I think uh, in 2012... Republicans are right. If they won that election, they could have gotten rid of Obamacare. Nobody would have ever known about it. And what exactly. they said was, you know, Mitt Rom- when Mitt Romney or Paul Ryan would say, um, 
we're not, you know, you need to get rid of Obamacare or this election, we never will. I think they were right, because what happened what, by not winning that election was people getting used to an entitlement, and there is no, there's no civilization. I mean, I think maybe Estonia fixed some of this. It is very hard to wean people off of not just the entitlement, but the ex- expectation of what government should be doing. Bingo. So they're already they're already playing anything we're talking about. We're talking about who could win. We're at the at the end of this process, voters will go to the polls, maybe for all time, saying, "Boy, the guy I'm voting for, how is he going to affect my health insurance?" That's right. now the way they picture a gov- the government's role. It wasn't before. Exactly. Now they're going to blame the party. The party in power needs to be to answer for managing health insurance in addition to everything else, so Social Security, Medicaid, et cetera. And so nothing they're doing is, un- is unwinding that. And that's why I think it's, 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 the most, it's a fascinating story to cover. To cover. This is why I think Rand Paul's totally honest and Jim Jordan's totally honest. And if, if, he just rip, if you just rip it out right now, and, and then maybe the, it's political, politically risky, but you end that expectation – Nothing that can pass is ever going to end the expectation. And so whatever people run on, maybe they, they decide that the Republican tax credit system is, is better than what they used to have, but the Republican Party will be uh, – the party that voted against Obamacare is going to be the party that says we're going to make sure you have tax credits to pay for insurance. Not where they ever were before. They were pushed into that. Just like after LBJ, they were the party that wasn't going to touch Medicare. They weren't the party right. – they're the party that's not really going to touch Social Security, et cetera, et cetera. No, I, Dave, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I've been saying uh, for, for a long time now that the last shot that we as Republicans had to repeal Obamacare was beating Obama in 2012. And yeah. we, we didn't do that, so we should have moved on. Now we're trying to close the barn door well after the horses have all left. And it, it's just a matter of how much of a price the party is going to pay. And the scenario outline, I outlined is about the only one where I can see that that price may be negligible because – uh, you know, as you well know, the attention span of the American public is incredibly short, and there's there's not enough time between now and the, no- the next election, with either 2018 or even 2020, to to make a dramatic change and to be able to spin the negatives that are come before any positives are seen. And so, my right. I guess my question, Dave, what are Republicans telling you? Uh, either publicly or behind you know, closed doors, as to why they chose this fight first. I mean, this doesn't even seem to be something that Trump cares that much about. Why is he putting everything on the line for health care when there's no good scenario for him? Well, it's because they promised. and It sounds funny to say it because one thing you don't associate with politicians is living up to what they promised. Uh, but there's a sense in, in November and December after the election, uh, uh, again, an election, I, my colleague uh, Kelsey Snell was at the Ryan party on election night, and she knows full well Ryan thought he was going to be given a speech about how he's going to have to work with President Clinton on election night, right? Like, this, mm-hmm. this came as a surprise. Um, the sense they had was that uh, their politically active base was not going to stand for anything else but getting rid of Obamacare. And... Um, there's almost a sunk cost fallacy here because, uh, look, in 2013, if Romney was president, they would have ran through the reconciliation repeal of Obamacare, right? They still have that as the plan, and they didn't really reckon with how it wasn't possible like it was uh, after two, year, two, two terms of Obama. So I think it was a combination of saying, we're going to get destroyed. Our base is never going to turn out and vote for us ever again if we don't do this. 
and then I think overconfidence about how easy it was going to be to do. I think it's those those two things. I mean, just Republicans and talking to them since January, um, it's it's almost. Uh, I've been in this position. You know, you're like you're doing work on a house and everything keeps breaking, and you keep buying more stuff and saying, well, this one thing's going to fix it. And they just keep adjusting their expectations from we're going to get this done the first month of his presidency to, well, you know, as long as we're done by the summer, the people are going to put, put up with us. And they, they're just not, I don't think they're being honest with themselves about this. And I don't think it's a, they have a great master plan. That's why the guys who are the most worth listening to are like Tom Cotton, who say, uh, or Ted Cruz increasingly, who say, yeah, their master plan of um, finishing this up with a bunch of votes, a bunch of uh, phase three bills the Democrats will support, that's not going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we just need to, but they won't go back and say, well, is any of this going to happen? Why are we doing this at all? So, bottom line, Dave Weingold, uh will there ever be a major overhaul of the health care system passed by the Trump administration, at least in, in this two-year period? Ooh, uh, I think there'll be a small overhaul and they'll claim it's a big one and uh i'm I'm not even being glib about this i as what we were saying before i do think trump's base is so faithful that he could go out and sell a very very minor advancement and his base will say all right you did it thanks and maybe they're getting the same tax because look a lot of trump voters especially in uh, appalachia it's like no one all all these people who got uh Medicaid for the first time or got a big tax credit, they voted for Trump. They didn't vote for the Democrats for giving it to him. I think he can come out and say, we fixed it. They'll get the same thing, and they'll congratulate him. And it's just, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll count on his base to move on because uh, this is a conflict. Uh, he, he did not win the election with Paul Ryan's agenda. He just didn't. And I, he, I think he knows that. I also think he doesn't care that much about the particulars of this health care bill because it's it just – he needs to get as much done as he possibly can to phone the runway for tax for tax cuts. But I think at some point I'll just say, yeah, we, we did as much as we're going to do, and then move to the next thing and hope that no one cares. Dave Weigel, thanks so much for your time. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, where he's a great follow and a funny guy, and read his political reporting in the Washington Post. <laughs> we appreciate it, and we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. All right, Thank thanks. you. Take care, Dave. All right, uh, that does it for hour number two of the World According to Zig podcast. Uh, We'll obviously see what happens with regard to the scheduled vote in the House of Representatives this week on the uh, so-called Trump care, Ryan care, whatever the heck uh, you want to call it. Uh, We'll be back again next week with uh, what promises to be a pretty interesting edition of the World According to Zig because it will be the, the last show I ever do in my 40s. I'll be uh, turning 50 like a day or two after uh, next week's podcast. So uh, it might be a particularly introspective version of the World According to Zig podcast. And as always is the case, I only ask two things of you. If you like this podcast, make sure you tell somebody else about it. Share on social media, Twitter or Facebook. If you do, make sure you tag me. And also uh, do yourself a favor. And when this uh, hour is completed, make sure you listen to the uh, special message, especially if you're somebody who sleeps at night and, use sheets. You won't regret it, I promise. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. 
What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.